Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, so nice, you want to hear it twice. That is uh, uh, a peppy, upbeat song for the summer. Hey, whether you are online or in person, students, students you are dismissed. Whether you're online and in person, you can go to the kitchen and uh, head out. All right, well, whether you're online or in person, it's good to be together this morning, whether we have all the students in here or not, it's good to be together. We are, uh, we are kicking off a series this morning called Win the Day, and this is going to be our summer series, one that we will be in for the next several weeks. And this series is actually based on a book by the same name, written by uh, Mark Batterson. And Mark is the lead pastor of the National Community Church in Washington, D.C., and they They are really doing some amazing things in our nation's capital. Uh, You might think that nothing good is happening in Washington these days, uh, but I would encourage you to check out some of the cool things that National Community Church is doing there and how God has been moving through this church. And you might have heard uh, also of Mark Batterson from some of his other books, uh, most notably The Circle Maker, and he is just a really awesome communicator. And Win the Day would be a great addition to any summer reading list. Uh, I know some of you have been reaching out on Facebook, hey, I'm headed on vacation, need a new book to read. Uh, What would be a good book? This would be a good book for you to read, to add to your summer reading list, Uh, especially so you can follow along with us through the series. And it's another, another way that you can follow along with us is you can scan the QR code that we have around and go to page two of the message outline where you can see the titles of each week's message and kind of be following along that way as well. And in his book, Win the Day, Batterson, he outlines seven daily habits that can help us deal with life differently. Win the Day is all about stressing less and accomplishing more. And man, I think we could use some of that, right? Uh, Especially after the year that we've had, we're looking to recharge our batteries this summer. And and maybe you're really running low right now. You're about on E and you need that recharge. Maybe you didn't get to go on vacation last year because of COVID. And this year you just are trying to make it to that vacation finish line. And and so I think we could all use a little less stress and, and accomplishing more in our lives. And I hope that you'll see this, that it's not just some catchy tagline that's going to help you live your best life now, but that you'll see that these habits are actually biblically based. And And the idea of living each day, one day at a time, is woven all throughout the Bible. We read in Lamentations 3.23 that God's mercies are new every morning. And we read in Psalm 118.24 that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. When, when jo- Jesus instructed how to pray, the idea of living one day at a time was included in his instruction. He prays, give us this day our daily bread. And he doesn't say, give us our weekly bread or give us our monthly bread. I mean, if we could do that, well, we wouldn't need to come back to him daily for help. If we could do that, we wouldn't need to rely on him daily. No, he says, live on the present, live in the present and rely on me daily. He also says in Luke 9, 9, 23, to pick up your cross daily and follow me. I mean, this 24-hour rule really is seen all throughout God's word. So it's something that I think we should be paying attention to. And Jesus also said in Matthew 6, 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
And if we think about when our stress and anxiety really start to snowball and get out of control, it's when we become consumed with the what-ifs of tomorrow. On April 20th, 1913, a man named Sir William Osler delivered a speech at Yale University that had a powerful message. That message, in a nutshell, was to live in day-tight compartments. In other words, take each day one day at a time. Don't fret about yesterday and don't worry about tomorrow. And psychologists tell us that the average person spends nearly half their time thinking about something besides what they're doing at the present moment. They're just elsewhere. And that means that many of us are living in another time zone. We're living in the wrong time. It's a daily battle to not worry about tomorrow. And the only way to win this battle is to live in daytight compartments. And that is what it means to win the day. Win the battle, win the day. Batterson says, yesterday is history, tomorrow is mystery. Our job is to win the day. And there's a man named Matthew Barnett who is the co-founder of an organization and a building out in in, uh, Los Angeles. It's called the LA Dream Center. And they have helped tens of thousands of people who are trying to overcome life-controlling addictions or rebuild broken lives. And as they go about the process of doing this, the question that Matthew and his team ask each person is, can you do it for a day? Can you do it for a day? Just one day. Can you do it? Take it one day at a time. Can you do it for a day? And that question, it seems so simple, and yet it's so brilliant all at the same time. I mean, why do we give up on so many of our goals and aspirations and resolutions? Because we look at the mountain of work that is required that lays before us so we can get to the end goal instead of just taking it one day at a time. I mean, if you, at the beginning of the year, if you set out a goal to read 30 books in one year, that sounds like a lot. But the question can be broken down to, the the question you need to ask yourself is, can I read 25 pages a day? If you wanted to walk 365 miles next year, well, you would, of course, need to walk one mile per day. But maybe you need to break it down to, can I walk 20 minutes today? The next time you decide to eat healthier or work out more, don't get discouraged thinking about all the weight that you have to lose or how much you're going to have to work out. Just ask yourself, can I do it today? Can I eat healthy today? Can I work out today? Keep everything in day-tight compartments. And as I mentioned earlier, Batterson, he gives us seven daily habits, and the first one that we're going to be covering today is to flip the script. Flip the script. I recently heard a story about a fire that blazed out of control in a small town. It was nestled in a tiny valley. Several fire trucks had already arrived from neighboring towns, and each one of them drove to the top of the hill, and they just stopped there because none were willing to drive down into that raging inferno that had engulfed the city. As the firemen and townspeople stood by, helplessly watching these buildings and their homes go up in flames, this dilapidated fire truck comes lumbering down the road. And the firemen, they all wore these old, simple overalls, and the truck itself looked to be 50 years old. And that old truck, it chugged up the hill, barely making it, and without even pausing at the top, it plunged right over the hill down into the middle of the fire. And the men jumped off, and they began to fight the fire like wild men. The others stared in disbelief at their courage. And within minutes, they they had the flames and the fire under control. The town was saved. These firefighters were heroes. 
Well, a week later, the town held a celebration in their honor to honor their bravery and their courage. And the mayor presented the fire chief with a check for $10,000 for his fire department. And as part of the ceremony, they handed him the check and the mayor asked the chief, well, what do you do? In, what do you intend to do with this money? And without hesitation, that fire chief replied, well, the first thing we're going to do is change the brakes on that old fire truck. Sometimes we just need to make a change and flip the script in our lives. Now, if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can head over to Genesis chapter 37. That's where we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph here in just a few moments, because Joseph was definitely somebody who flipped the script in, in his own life. And he endured some major hardships in his life, and instead of become, becoming consumed with the negativity of it, he chose to flip the script and change his thinking. Before we get to Joseph, though, I want to ask you a little bit of introspective this morning. How are your days going right now? Would you say you are winning the day or losing the day? Or maybe right now you just feel like you are surviving the day. Do you feel like you're trapped in this pointless routine like a hamster in a wheel? You're just stuck in a rut? Do you find yourself getting caught in the same sin or temptation over and over and over again? Well, if we want those things to change, if we want to gain victory over those things, we cannot simply stand by and expect a different result. We can't stand still and expect something different to happen. If you want to change your life, you have to flip the script. If you want things to change in your life, whether it be overcoming a sin or temptation or just getting out of this rut you find yourself in, you need to ask God to change the way that you think and to help change the way that you act as well. It's a two-part process. See, changing your thinking is the first step, and then changing your behavior is the second step. You can change your behavior first, and sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes you need an immediate correction. But for lasting change... You have to change your thinking first. Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so if you're living out a, a negative and, and bad narrative, you need a renewed way of thinking. On average, about 60,000 thoughts go through your brain every day. 60,000. And the Cleveland Clinic did a study and discovered that about 80% of the average person's thoughts are negative. 80% of our thoughts are negative. I mean, that's a big deal, right? That's a little bit of an issue. And the issue is stinking thinking. Proverbs 23, 7, Solomon says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if you are constantly thinking negatively about yourself or your situation or your outlook, <laughs> you're already behind. You're already fighting an uphill battle. Your thoughts are more important, more impactful than the situations that you find yourself in, and that's why it's so important to change your thinking. And so with that in mind, I want to look at Joseph's story this morning from the book of Genesis. His story is covered starting in chapter 37, and it goes all the way to chapter 50, and man, it is a remarkable story. It is a lesson on why your thoughts are so powerful in the face of any situation. Now, as you may remember, Joseph, he grew up as the favorite son out of 12 sons of Jacob. And he was given a, a, a bunch of advantages because he was the favorite, but most, it, one of the most memorable things he was given was the coat of many colors because he was the favorite. 
He was not, however, because of all these things, he was not, however, the favorite amongst all his brothers. Anyone who has ever had a sibling that they felt like was the favorite and got special treatment, maybe you can understand why. In fact, in chapter 37, verse 4, it says that they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And if Bambi taught us anything, it's that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? And as if that's not bad enough, Joseph had a couple of dreams that portrayed his brothers in one and all of his family in another bowing down to him. Now, you have to imagine that he had enough sense to know how his brothers felt about him. If they couldn't even speak a kind word to him, they had to, he had to know that they didn't like him. And he also had to know that sharing these dreams with them probably would not make them like him anymore, yet he still chose to share these dreams with them just to see what they would say, and you can imagine that they didn't like it very much. And anyone who, I I don't know why he would choose to do this, knowing how it would go, but anyone who's ever had an annoying little brother or been the annoying little brother, maybe you can understand why. But in response, they get so angry, they want to kill him. And so they set out, they take him, and they're going to kill him. And at the last second, they decide, ah, let's just sell him into slavery instead. And so he ends up in Egypt into the house of a man named Potiphar. And while there, he's accused of a crime he didn't commit, and he's thrown into prison. Things aren't going great for Joseph right now. And in each of those circumstances, however, Joseph's faith, well, it never wavers. And he just takes life one day at a time. While in prison, he's able to interpret a dream of Pharaoh using the gifts that God has given him, and that gets him not only out of prison, but he gets elevated all the way to be the number two man in all of the Egyptian empire. Thirteen years after his brothers sold him off, Joseph has finally reached his destination. He's reached God's destination for his life, the destination foretold in his dreams. And during this time, there's a, there's a famine in all the land, and his brothers are forced to come to Joseph in Egypt and ask for food because Joseph has now been put in a position, he is in charge of storing and distributing all of the grain. And so it's recorded in Genesis 42.6, we read, Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Well, 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 how the turntables. I mean, what a moment this must have been for Joseph. I mean, how many of us would have been like, oh man, I so told you this was going to happen. You thought it wouldn't, but it would, oh, I had a dream about it. You should have seen your faces. Oh, like it, you, it, this was classic, right? But the problem is his brothers don't even recognize him. So it saps a little bit of the joy out of the moment for Joseph because they don't even know what's happening. He, I mean, inside he's like, oh, this is great. But they don't, they don't even know anything is different. They just think this is the governor, the guy they need to come see for food. But Joseph, maybe it's because he, doesn't, he doesn't, think, doesn't think it's possible that they wouldn't recognize him. Whatever it is, he, doesn't, he thinks they're there to spy on the land. And so he has them taken into custody for three days. And after the three days, he sends them home to get Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, his only full brother. And their father, Jacob, well, he, he, when he hears that this request for Benjamin to come back, he doesn't want to do it. He's heartbroken because Jacob, or Joseph and Benjamin are his two favorite sons. He's already lost Joseph. Now they're asking for Benjamin. He, does, he can't do it. 
But eventually, he's talked into it because the family runs out of food completely, runs out of grain completely, and knew that, look, we, if we're going to go, we have to take Benjamin with us. So Benjamin returns with his brothers, and in chapter 44, we read that Joseph, who's still disguised as an Egyptian, his brothers still don't recognize him. Joseph put their love for their father to the test by threatening to keep Benjamin there. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 44, how they passed that test, and it greatly moved Joseph. And then in chapter 45, verses 1 through 8, we read, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I mean, imagine the shock that they find out that this is Joseph, and then they start thinking, do you remember when we did this guy last time? Like, we, we were going to kill him and then slavery. I mean, whoa, all right, you got a little bit of power going on here, right? And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. If you wouldn't have done that to me, we wouldn't be in the position where we're at today. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. I mean, wow, what a moment, right? Can you imagine how powerful this is? Joseph, he he can't stand it anymore. He sees his brothers and and he just, he reveals himself and he reveals God's plan in his life and in their lives as well. He reveals how God has been working amidst the turbulence. And I want to finish up Joseph's story by looking at Genesis 50, 20, where Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you see the phrase that keeps popping up in Joseph's story here? It's a phrase that might have popped up in your story a few times as well. But God. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. You know why? Because that means that God has brought me to a place that he wants me to be. I thought I was perfect for the job. I thought I had it wrapped up, but God kept me here. I thought I was going to marry that person. I thought I was going to be with them for the rest of my life, but God showed me otherwise. I've been through a lot over the past year. It's been really hard, but God is still with me. I was weak, but God was strong. I was once dead in my transgressions and my sins, but God gave me life when he raised Christ from the dead. When we begin to see the but God and the daily challenges of our life, it's going to make a huge difference in us, for us, and around us. See, Joseph, he refused to live out the story that his brothers tried to write for him. He wasn't even living out his own story now. He was living out God's story. He flipped the script. And if you want to flip the script in your life, just like Joseph did, you have to do three things. You have to know who you are, you have to fix your focus, and you have to change your story. So we're going to be spending a few minutes talking about each one of those, starting with know who you are. 
Over a century ago, sociologist Charles Horton Cooley said, I am not what I think I am, and I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. Say what? (laughs) I'll say it again. I I I put it up here just so you could like dissect it visually. I am not what I think I am, and I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. Now, you might be impacted. Hopefully, you'll come back with us by the end of the sermon if if you need a minute. But Cooley calls this the looking glass self. And it says that most of us live our lives according to what we think others think about us. So we tend to feed on what what others say to us about us. And, And flattery, man, that can make you think, it can pump you up and make you think that you are something you are not. But it can kind of go the other way with criticism, right? We hear too much criticism. We think that, that we're lesser than we really are. The problem is that too often what people say about us, well, it's not true. But we believe it anyway, and then we go on thinking and acting as if it is. And in the story of Joseph, one of the reasons his brothers wouldn't have recognized him is because he was not introduced as Joseph. This was not, all right, come see Joseph, the governor of all of Egypt. No, in this new life that he had found in Egypt, he was, he was Zephanath-Paniah. His name had been changed to match the change in his story. And names, they were so important in ancient cultures. If you look earlier in the book of Genesis, you have Abram is changed to Abraham. Uh, Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. Saul, in his life, in the New Testament, he made a change in his story, and it went from Saul to Paul. These people's names were changed to match the change in their story. And Joseph could have easily forgotten who he was. He had been living the life of an Egyptian for over a decade. He was a new person, a new identity. I mean, now at this point, he, he went from the bottom being sold into slavery. He is now the second most powerful man in the world. And he could have easily taken revenge on his brothers for their hateful deeds toward him 13 years earlier. But you know what? Joseph never forgot who he was. When Pharaoh heard he could interpret dreams, he called up from prison and asked him, called him up from prison and asked him to interpret. And in Genesis 41, 16, Joseph said, I can't do it, but God can. And after Jacob died, Joseph's brothers came in fear that he would take his revenge on them. So they, they bowed down and they begged for, his li- for their lives. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Joseph always knew where he stood. He always knew who he was. He knew who he was, and he knew who he wasn't. He wasn't living out the script that the culture tried to write for him. He wasn't even living out the script that he might have written out for him. No, he was living out the script that God had written for him. And he flipped the script. And that's what you and I need to do in our lives as well. Know who you are. As a believer, you are a child of God. You were dead in your sins, but now you are alive in Christ. You have been adopted into God's family. The next thing we have to do to flip the script is to fix your focus. Your focus determines your reality. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? What what is your focus on? In Philippians 4, Paul says that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
But here's the problem. You remember that Cleveland Clinic study we talked about earlier? See, it was discovered that many of us focus on the negative most of the time. Joseph, he could have easily played the victim card here. Look at how much he had been through. Look at how, much, how he had been treated, not just by his brothers, but by Potiphar who put him in prison for something he didn't even do. There was a lot of negativity in Joseph's life that he could have chosen to focus on. But look again at what he told his brothers in chapter 50, verse 20. He said, you intended to harm me. He could have put his focus on his pain, on his negativity, but he didn't. He said, but God intended it for good. He says, I could focus on the negative for sure, but I'm going to focus on what God is doing through that. Paul tells us in Romans 8.28 that God works for the good of those who love him. It's been a, it's been a, a year, right? This, uh, last year was, uh, was something else. Uh, many have uh, so eloquently called it a dumpster fire of a year. Uh, if, and, uh, you know, I think that's the wrong view. As believers, instead of a dumpster fire that was 2020, we need to see last year as a refiner's fire. And what comes out of a refiner's fire is more precious and valuable. So we have to stop focusing on the negative and the divisive and start focusing on what God is doing in this world and in the church and in our lives. The writer of Hebrews, we we covered it earlier in our focus verse, he said, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. You know, we all, we all love the story of the Apostle Peter. He comes out, he's walking on the water in the middle of the night on the Sea of Galilee. It is an amazing sight. What incredible faith he had. And the story is, as long as Peter kept his focus on Jesus, he did the impossible. But when he took his focus off of Jesus, what happened? He began to sink. Suddenly, the impossible was no longer possible. And the same will happen to you and me. When we take our focus off of Jesus, suddenly things go wrong. If you want to flip the script of your life, fix your focus on Jesus. The third and final thing we need to do to flip the script is to change your story. A study conducted by Emory University concluded that the best predictor of a child's emotional well-being is, can you guess, Maybe some answers are are flooding into your head right now. It's not getting into a great school. It's not getting lots of stuff. It's not having all the opportunities in sports. It's not getting scholarships. It's not the obligatory pilgrimage to Disney World. It's that the best predictor of a child's emotional well-being, according to the study done by Emory University, is when a child, the best predictor is when a child knows their family history. It's when a child understands where he or she fits into their family story. I mean, everyone's born into somebody else's story. I was born into my parents' story. My parents were born into their parents' story. You were born into your parents' story, and on and on. And see, maybe your parent was was not a, a great parent. Maybe they made some mistakes. Maybe the home that you grew up in or the story that you grew up in was not a great one. You know what? You can change the story. See, Joseph did that. He, he had a doting father that had so much favoritism for him, it was actually negative for him. That's how he ended up in the situation he was. 
because his father favored him so much. Because of that favoritism, he had these jealous, vindictive brothers to the point where they wanted to kill him. But Joseph, he flipped the script. And by his God-given wisdom, he not only saved his life, but he saved his family's life. He saved an entire nation. That is God's story. And because of Jesus Christ, we are adopted into God's family when we make Jesus the Lord of our life. We all have a family of origin, and that, all, that includes an origin story. But here's what happens. When we get grafted into God's family, we get grafted into God's story. And that's huge because Scripture becomes our script. This is not just a mirror. It now becomes our script. But it's our backstory. See, this is our backstory, and your life is the rest of the story. You, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but you are the only Bible that some people will ever get to read or experience. Your life is the only Bible that some people might see. You are the fifth gospel. You are Acts 29. You are Revelation 23. The question is, is your life a good translation? Is the way that you're living, is the way that you're loving, the way that you're talking to people and interacting with them online or in person, is that a good representation of Jesus Christ? Is your life a good translation? So your life is a, is a to be continued. And so here's how it works. It starts by surrendering your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ by giving the author and perfecter of your faith complete editorial control. I am available. Do whatever you need to do, Jesus. And here's what happens. God begins to write his story, history with a hyphen, in and through your life. Listen, we, all, we have to flip the script. How? Well, you got to know your name, and you got to fix your focus, right? You have to do it. you got to change your story. And if you do that, boy, you better buckle up. Because you're going to see God's kingdom come in a powerful way in your life and in your marriage and in your family and in your job. And I believe it. Why? Because God is writing his story in you and through you. You know what? You might be in the middle of a storm right now. But I want to encourage you to wait on what God's story is for your life. Wait on the Lord and keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And while you wait, praise him for the things that he's done in your past instead of complaining about the things that he's not doing right now. His ways are so far above our ways, so don't let yourself get bogged down by complaining because he's got a better story laid out for you. Keep your focus on Jesus and know that you are a child of God. Friends, whatever your story is, whatever story you were born into, it's not as good as the one that God has written out for you. Like Joseph, we need to flip the script of our stories. And starting today, let's let but God be our new story. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you have such an immense love for us. We thank you that you have adopted us into your family by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. That you would love each one of us so much that you would send your one and only son, Jesus, that he would go through the sacrifice and wash us clean so that we could be co-heirs with him. So that we could take on his righteousness and spend eternity with you. Father, I, I pray that we would look into our lives to flip the script. 
I pray that we would know who we are. I pray that we would know who we're not. I pray that we would keep our eyes focused on your son, Jesus Christ, and know that things that seem impossible are possible when we are focused on him. And Father, I pray that we would change our story, change our story so that it aligns with your story, that we would adopt your story for our lives. Not try to live out our own story, not try to live out our own way, but that we would make ourselves available to you and say, okay, God, what's next? What's the next chapter look like? Because as good as we might think a story might be, as good as we might see the future on the horizon, it is nothing compared to what you have planned for us. You know the future, you know what's best for us, and you are always working for the good of those that love you. Father, I pray that we would hear that truth this morning and believe it and trust it. And that we would stop trying to go our own way, but instead be a reflection of how great you truly are and how much your son Jesus loves all of us. That he would die for each one of us. That we could spend eternity with you. And so, Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your story for our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe you have been trying to live out your own story for a while now. And I don't know if you figured it out yet or not, but typically those stories don't have a happy ending. In fact, the only story that has a happy ending is the story that goes through Jesus Christ. And so if you've been trying to live your own story, if you've been trying to make your own way, I pray that today you would make the decision to say, you know what, I'm out, I'm done. I I want the author and perfecter of my faith to be the one that writes my story and have editorial control over my life. I lay it down and I want him to take over from here. And so if you've never made the decision to, to trust Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and the King of your life, then there's no better day than today to make that decision and say, I, no more. I want to follow him and serve him the rest of my days. If, you, if that's you, I, I just ask that you come forward. We would love to baptize you this morning in front of all these witnesses. And you can say, my old life is gone. My old story is over. I have entered into the best story ever. I've entered into this new story as a new creation in Christ. Maybe your story is a little rocky right now. Maybe you've tried to write your own way and you just need somebody to pray with you. Maybe there's been some heartache and you, it's just a lot, there is a lot of negativity and as much as you try not to focus on it, there's just a lot going on right now. I would love to pray with you as well this morning. And whether it's you come down right now or after the service or sometime through the week, you can scan our QR code and do the info card. The prayer request link is on there. We would love to pray with you because in the midst of the negativity and the heartache and the pain, prayer is such a powerful weapon. And we believe in that here at Gateway. And we want to pray over you or your situation or your loved ones, whatever it might be. We just want to pray for you in that situation. And so if you have a decision to make or you, have, you just are in need of prayer right now, I'll be right down front. I'd love to, to speak with you. I just ask all of us stand and sing our final song.